All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 29th day of January 2019. Also, uh, like to always r- uh, remind you that I'm the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and the focus is largely on the junior mining sector, and I'm getting quite excited now, actually. Uh, I think finally we're going to make some money this year on the junior sector, and we could do very well. Usually, uh, when gold is hot and gold shares are hot, they're very hot, and when they're cold, they're very, very cold, and we've had a couple of years of quite a lot of cold, so I'm looking forward to uh, what seems to be a turning point for the gold sector. We'll also like to remind you that Chen Lin's letter, uh, uh, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling? ChenPicks.com is the place to go for that. ChenPicks.com uh, has an excellent track record, especially in the biotech sector. And Michael Oliver as well. We'd like to remind you of Michael Oliver's great work, and he'll be talking to us in just a moment. Uh, OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Thank each of you for listening to this show and uh, would urge you to, um, or encourage you, if not urge you, to send along your comments, criticisms, praises, comments of any kind to questions for Taylor at gmail.com, questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are in resources, Novo Resources, Triumph Gold, Gold Mining Inc., and Uranium Energy. The title for today's show is How True Gold Price Discovery is Denied Citizens and Why. Chris Powell, Michael Oliver, and Amira Dani are the guests for this week. In 1971, President Nixon defaulted under the U.S. obligation to pay foreign central banks one ounce of gold in exchange for every $35 paper dollars. In truth, the dollar was no longer as good as gold. To, re- to maintain its value, the U.S. arranged with Saudi Arabia and OPEC to require that all oil exports be paid for in U.S. dollars, thus enabling the U.S. dollar to engage in what I believe very strongly was an immoral act of printing trillions of dollars of fraudulent money to fund America's endless wars and socialism. The gold price has risen, but only partly in line with dollar debasement. Chris uh, Powell will explain how true price discovery for gold has been denied by suppressive central bank manipulation and why it should matter to you as well. Uh, Notwithstanding gold price suppression, Michael will explain why a serious breakout in the gold price uh, is now underway, and he'll be explaining that to us momentarily. And for the first time in many years, the uranium price is on the rise and seems to be, it actually has broken out. Michael's talked to us about that as well. 
that's why I had scheduled Amir Adnani to talk about uranium energy. But I was speaking with Amir a little earlier today, and noting the gold breakout, he suggested maybe he'd rather speak about Gold Mining Inc., which I think is an excellent idea because Gold Mining Inc. has, during the downturn, has assembled millions of ounces of gold from various properties. Uh, it's an options play on gold, and at some point, people are going to wake up to the enormous amount of gold that company has in the ground. And um, the options plays, you know, once you get past a certain level where those ounces in the ground become profitable, all of a sudden those kind of companies can rise very dramatically in price. And so I think uh, I'm looking forward to what, to hearing what uh, Amir has to say uh, in the second segment of today's show. But right now I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again. It's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Always good to be back. Always good to have you, and especially it's good to have you when times seem to be turning in our favor with a bit of wind at our backs for us gold bugs. This past weekend, you put out a missive on gold in an article headed 32 days and counting, meaning that in 32 days, I guess I'm not sure exactly what it meant. I took it to mean in 32 days from Saturday or from Sunday uh, that we would reach a five-year high for for gold. But in fact, I was talking to you off mic, and you were suggesting that no, it's not 32 days from now. It's about, what, 18 days or something like that? Could you tell us how, you, how you've come to the conclusion that we're ready to start knocking on the door of a five-year high? Well, if you, if you look at a gold price chart, let's say a monthly bar chart, go back to the top of 2011, you'll see that since 2014, the high each year is gradually descending. Uh, the high in uh, 2014 was just above 1390. Then we had highs uh, in the 1370s in 2016. Then we had highs in the 1370s, 60 level in 2017 and 18. So very gradually declining line, almost flat, across uh, going back five years, 14, 15, mm-hmm. 16, 17, 18. Okay, now anybody can see that. And in fact, that's what the price charters are looking at. It's a big breakout if you, if you get up there, and I say 1360 mm-hmm. is enough to break it out. Well, you mm-hmm. can wait for that if you want, uh, but our momentum work... Uh, after the August low, which was down at 1161, we crossed 1200. <clears throat> we had our first breakout. Crossed 1240. It was December 7th. We had our second breakout, and our final breakout was crossing 1280 and later in December. So average price is 1240 on this upside here. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were major momentum breakouts going back a couple of years, in particular that, that 1280 breakout, which is in December. Uh, took out the last thing we had in, in terms of resistance or a breakout level overcome. Now we're left only with price. So the price guys throughout the world, even those who don't like gold and never have gold or gold miners in their portfolio, are now getting phone calls, no doubt, from people, their subscribers, shareholders, and so forth, uh, that how come we don't have any gold? It's the best performing thing out there for the last uh, three to six months. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and they're getting, waking up to it. It's been a sneak attack by gold. Yeah, the gold rally from August low of last year was it was arm wrestling type of move. It wasn't vertical. It wasn't uh, uh, rapid. It was just it gained ground, held ground, gained ground, held ground. And it's behaved very well. Like there's some big bidding under the market, very solid. It doesn't back off much. Um, now I think we're about to accelerate. Getting over 1300 right now, we're 1310 on the spot futures contract, Fed gold. Uh, we're 3.8% away from what I think is the the level that the price guys throughout the world will have to wake up and say, golly, you know, we either have to be in this or not be in it. It's Mm -hmm. it's time to have a committee meeting. And Mm -hmm. I think once that happens, once you get people who are non-gold people, 
suddenly realize that it's the best performing thing out there uh, versus the S&P, even versus T-bonds, which is the other alternative that most people look at when they exit the stock market. They're going to be forced into it. Now, that will widen, I think, the demand base for gold miners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a somewhat sarcastic analysis of the gold miners for the past few years. It's sort of a private club of gold bugs who sort of like play cards with each other. In this case, they yeah. trade back and forth amongst each other. It's a very small sector in terms of size, uh, mm-hmm. billions of dollars in assets, etc., compared to, let's say, technology or uh, consumer discretionary and so forth. So some of that money fleeing the stock market, just a small portion of it says, hey, we've got to be in the gold arena. And they can't buy gold, let's say, so they buy gold stocks. Uh, that would yeah. be a huge rush of money mm-hmm. into what's a small market arena. And I think it would create dynamics that you haven't seen in a couple years. Uh, yeah. We still, we still believe the gold miners will beat gold hands down in terms of percentage gain. Um, gold's the mama. And the gold miners are little dogs on a leash, but, uh, and they, they rush forward and they rush backward. You know, Like you said, they <laughs> underperform and outperform. But going no. forward on the upside here in gold, I think the miners will, will be the place to be, probably the best place on the planet. Michael, where is that, that uh, five-year high for, for the bullion? What price are we uh, looking at? That would at? be the 1390-plus high that occurred in the uh, 2014 high. But uh-huh. actually, the line that's important is the one that comes across those highs and intersects now such that if you hit 1360, uh, you're, you're at the line, and, and believe me, they're not going to stop at it. I think they'll vault, vault through that level, and you'll, you'll have gold in the 1400s rapidly. So, but the issue is the ambush effect that I think is about to occur, n- namely no more incremental firm upside. Now we vault upward. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. shock me in the next week or so that we get a $40 day here or there. You know, you know what I mean? So suddenly where there's a grabbing sound, <laughs> people grabbing for that market, Mm-hmm. Uh, simply because there's nothing else performing the same way. Find mm-hmm. me a commodity that's behaving like gold. Okay, so we're, looking at, so we're looking at mid-February sometime, thereabouts, Michael? Well, no, I, I think it could happen any time. I just had made a bet on December 7th. We put out a ridiculous report that said in 50 trading days, 50 trading days, not market mm-hmm. calendar days, gold will be above the five-year highs, meaning take out the trend line that connects them, plus that highest high up there at 1390-plus. Uh, and I think that's likely to happen. And I think now we're in the 1300s. We should see some more rapid advance, not $5 days, but maybe we get a you know, $30, $40 day in here, um, where the money flow suddenly uh, pushes gold through that structure, the price chart structure, mm-hmm. uh, in a rapid way. Um, yeah. As Doug Casey called it. Is over. <laughs> as Doug Casey uh, called it, a uh, Niagara Falls through a garden hose. Something like um, that. That's, yep. Yeah. Michael, what about some of the other markets then? We like what about uh, Treasuries are looking strong now. It seems the market has gotten yeah. a bit weak. Uh, equity markets, so risk off going to Treasury, maybe to gold too, though, perhaps. Yep. No, I think it's the two. I think it's gold, which has not been jolting higher. But T bonds, if you'll notice, we got bullish in, in uh, December uh, last year. Yeah. Bonds came up to 141 T bond futures, and they shot up. We thought we'd get in a, a low 150s. They stopped just below 149. But then when we had this start, uh, sharp stock rally, bonds pulled back into the 144. So they gave back half their gains. Mm-hmm. Still positive in our view. But during that time, if you'll notice, the other alternative gold did not break down. It stalled. It stalled mm-hmm. in a very tight little fist of ink between 1280 and 1300. So unlike the bonds, which had a sharp pullback, as those who panicked into bonds as an alternative sold out when the S&P rallied, they didn't sell their gold. Gold mm-hmm. fell tightly, which I think is a, a good statement. 
mm-hmm. about the, the money flow into gold. Uh, mm-hmm. But both of them can be viewed as alternatives to stocks for the time being. I don't right. think ultimately T-bonds will hold upside. I think we're going to have higher rates, but as the stocks break down sharply in those phases early in a bear market, you'll get these upward jolts in T-bonds, uh, flight to safety again. Uh, yeah. Gold is the one that will persist mm-hmm. opposite to stocks as the other alternative. Well, we have seen at times in the past when uh, when risk has come out of uh, when uh, confidence is lost in the system, money comes out of both stocks and bonds and goes into gold. It doesn't happen all that often, but when it does, it could be very dramatic. And uh, just one uh, with thirty seconds left here yet. Uh, soft commodities. You're still bullish on the agricultural no, I think commodities. The place to be, uh, aside from gold in the commodity arena, uh, it's not so much the, the big name stuff like copper and oil, though they could get their act together again, too. They've had a big pullback, which we expected. Uh, it's the food commodities. The stuff that's basically priced out, it's, it's blanched as much as it's going to be. They're not going to take it any lower. The issue is when it goes up. Speaking of things like sugar, uh, cocoa, uh, mm-hmm. the grains, yeah. uh, soybean oil, things that are mundane. You know? uh, stuff yeah. that comes out of the ground is, is, has been ground into, it's, it's bottomed. And it's ready mm-hmm. to uh, participate in the upside. And I think that's where most of the commodity upside, broader outside of gold, that is, will be this coming year, will be in the food commodities. Yeah. And I know that you also, your, your work is showing uranium uh, looking pretty yes. strong, too. Now, I like the uranium sector. It's had a fresh breakout back in October. Uh, it's gained since then, and I think it's a major breakout. I think it's a big turning point for uranium, which also got bombed out in terms of yeah. the price levels it saw in the recent years. Yeah, and again, I would just remind my listeners that uh, this isn't Michael just talking, um, you know, just just talking from the seat of his pants. He's basically he's looking at his uh, his uh, momentum work and his, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is what I appreciate, Michael, about your work is it's not just you know I can look at various things and say, well, this seems like it ought to do this and that. It seems like it ought to do that, but in fact, uh, you know, subjectively, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to try to figure out what's going to really happen. But in those numbers, your, your work has just been so, so good. I want to thank you again for spending time with us and, uh, and helping us along here. You know, I went out and took a, uh, took a, um, a bit of a position um, in GDX uh, this week uh, through some call options, and they seem to be working well. And I did it strictly on your confidence, on the confidence I have in your work, uh, that uh, we're very near a very rapid uh, blowout in gold, perhaps. So thank you very much, Michael, and uh, I hope we can talk to you again next week. Thank you, Jay. Bye. All right, folks. Well, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Amirad Nani. Uh, he's with Gold Mining, Inc. We're going to talk to him about gold today, not uranium. Uh, he might put in a word or two about uranium, but uh, Gold Mining, Inc. is what we're going to talk to Amir about right after the break, so don't go away. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Gold Mining, Inc., ticker symbol GOLD on the TSX. 
and GLDLF on the OTC is the biggest bet for gold investors and legendary investors like Doug Casey, Rick Rule, and Marin Katusa, who put millions of dollars into backing the company, along with institutional investors. The insiders own over 20%. Gold mining has strong cash and no debt. It's one of the top 1% of gold companies that has over 20 million ounces of gold resources. Visit goldmining.com. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Amir Adnani. Amir uh, is a, a real entrepreneur uh, in, the, and a, in the mining sector. Uh, he is the founder of Uranium Energy Corp., and he has been the president and CEO and the director of that company since its inception back in 2005. And he uh, is also the founder and chairman of Gold Mining, Inc. Uh, that's a company that we want to talk to him about today. Thanks for joining me again, Amir. Hi, Jay. It's exciting to be connecting on a day where we're finally seeing gold above 1300 Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, we had uh, built out and promoted the show today on the basis of your uranium, uranium story, and that also is looking very good now. As Michael just told us, his charts are looking very positive for uranium. But um, you and I were speaking a little earlier, and you sort of thought it might be a good idea to talk about gold mining today, and I agreed because... Uh, Your company is what I would call an optionality play. That is, when the gold price gets to a certain level where the projects start to look economic and become economic, then all of a sudden the market starts to really pay attention. Up until that point, they can sell at very low prices, and I would would suggest that your uh, your stock, which is around $0.90 Canadian, uh, is quite a low price given the millions of ounces of gold that you have in the ground. I should tell our listeners that you trade in uh, Toronto under the symbol G-O-L-D, and it's G-O-L-D-F down here in the States. Uh, Can you comment a little bit on your business model? Just tell us a little bit about how you put this company together, what your philosophy is, uh, and how you expect to profit from it. Yeah, and before I do, just for anyone that was uh, expecting to hear us talk about uh, uh, uranium, you and I just recently connected in Vancouver and um, uh, taped an interview where we yeah. discussed uranium and UEC at length. So uh, mm-hmm. I encourage everyone to look that up on our website and they can, um, they can hear what Jay and I were discussing about uranium. Uh, but when we just go back to uh, the business model... Excuse me, Amir, just a minute. Amir let, Amir, let me just also say that your speech there is also... Available. I don't know if you have it on your website, but we have it at uh, miningstocks.com, a link to that, to your speech as well as our interview. So go ahead. I'm sorry for that. But I wanted people to know that your 10-minute talk is also available there, which I think is very, very good. Perfect. Thank you for that. And, uh, yeah, no, that's good. Uh, so that's, uh, that's all fairly recent and uh, good information there. Uh, as far as uh, gold mining, uh, our company here, uh, and the model, I think this is uh, – 
Jay, something that listeners that are especially perhaps new to investing in the growth sector, you know, should should or can hope uh, hopefully understand, which is that you know there's there's more than one way to create value uh, in the market for investors in a resource company, um, mm-hmm. and not not the you know the only way to do it isn't to just go build a mine and hope it all works. Um, there are again variety of models, whether it's uh, exploration, prospect generator, asset developer. And then there's the concept of being a consolidator, uh, being an acquirer of resource stage projects, uh, which requires an extended bear market. So I would, I would argue that, uh, first of all, we've seen this business model successfully executed uh, in other commodities. The best example that comes to mind is uh, Ross Beatty and his group Lumina Copper that did this with copper resources and the uh, in the early 2000, where they basically acquired copper projects pre-production, but at a resource stage, uh, and held on to them, developed them a bit, never took them to production, and ultimately, as copper prices recovered, they were able to get um, just gorgeous returns for their equity holders and exit everything. I think they were in it for about $100 million in acquisitions and exited with uh, close to 1.5 billion or so in uh, total exits. Now, mm-hmm. so now you bring that same model to the gold sector, and we have not seen the price of gold above fourteen hundred dollars for six years now. It's it's actually a bit depressing when you <laughs> when you look at it. That way. Six years is a long time, uh, and the go- and the sector over the last six years has been um, undergoing this period of underinvestment and exploration. Uh, and uh, gold stocks have been just uh, unloved and maybe even hated. And mm-hmm. so this has created the perfect uh, back- backdrop to be an acquirer, and so the model has been to be focused on projects that you can acquire that have been drilled out, so you have a resource, an independently verified resource. In countries and jurisdictions where there's uh, existing mining regime and rule of law and infrastructure and all of this sounds good, but guess what? When you're in a bear market and no one wants any project, you can have your best picks. You can pick whatever you want because it's, it's like you're at an all-you-can-eat buffet and uh, there isn't a big lineup for it. And so we've managed to put together a portfolio in five different countries in the Americas, all mining-friendly countries with good exploration upside, near infrastructure, uh, and projects that are resource stage where someone else has already come in and spent tens of millions of dollars in mobilizing exploration camps, doing drilling, doing all the hard work, and established resources. In some cases, these projects, historically, the prior owners had even established economic studies, uh, pre feasibility mm-hmm. study or preliminary economic assessment. So... This is really a case, uh, Jay, when, when you add it all up, the last time the gold price was over $1,400 an ounce, the, com- the combined companies that we managed to acquire uh, had over a billion dollars of, or almost a billion dollars of either market cap or sell-side analysts that had published uh, net asset valuations on mm-hmm. them. We've acquired everything for around $80 million in stock. <laughs> so these are stock-based acquisitions that we have made. So... I'm really excited about this because obviously we could very well be set up in a way this year to see $1,400 gold again. And I think it's, it's going to just uh, uh, really be uh, exciting for a company like Gold Mining that is positioned so well 
Uh, and, and, you know, Jay, the, the key with a strategy like this is to have a very tight burn rate because this is almost mm-hmm. like creating a, uh, a dated call option on gold. Uh, right. With so much gold resources in the ground. And you and I both know the value of an option will be much greater if it can last longer. In this instance, mm-hmm. it means low GNA and not incurring dilution. Jay, it's 2019. The last time gold mining raised money was 2016. It's sort of unheard of in the junior resource sector for a company to manage its finances and balances, balance sheet so well that it doesn't need to go to market. Uh, and uh, as of this month, we've even disclosed already that we have over $9 million of cash on hand, uh, and the company's budgeted activities, which is minimum license requirements and um, uh, GNA and just the cost to basically maintain a portfolio in five different countries for the next year is expected to be $5 million. So this company is well-funded and can, can really be that long-dated call option for gold with um, a, a, a resource port- portfolio right now that is uh, 9.5 million ounces of M&I resources and about 11.7 million ounces of inferred resources. Yeah, it's it's quite impressive, and you are, uh, of course, you're in uh, Canada, in the United States, in Alaska. Uh, you are also, uh, I believe, you, well, you're in Brazil, uh, you're in Peru, and uh, I guess you're in Ecuador. Is that right? Uh, you got them all. We're almost there. Let's recap: U.S., Canada, Colombia, Peru, uh, Colombia. and Brazil. Yeah, not Colombia. Ecuador. Colombia. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, Amira, do you plan to? Do any advancement of these projects on your own this year, or what is your policy now? How would you expect to cash out? Let's say, I know you're not going to be in a hurry right now. You're waiting for higher gold prices, and probably some people start knocking on your door. I can't imagine some of the major mining companies that are starving for reserves uh, in the future wouldn't have their eyes on some of your larger projects, at least. But what is your strategy for... Uh, for cashing out on this thing uh, going forward. I know we're going to see higher share price as the price of gold rises, but are you looking at some point you have in your mind how you're going to exit, your exit strategy? Well, first of all, I think if we look back to 2016, um, the only year over the last six years where we had a slightly better gold market, it's quite instructive as to what are two things that can happen. Um, One thing that happened is that we saw... Um, very dominant performance in our equity, Jay. As you know, we were the best-performing gold stock in 2016. I think we were up about 400%. The GDXJ was up about 180%. That mm-hmm. really speaks to the leverage that the company has to the gold price that, that you're speaking to. But we also saw that just because the gold price uh, uh, was stronger in 2016, it didn't mean that we had limited opportunities to make acquisitions. And so my point is to speak to answer your question about plans. Our plan still would be that if we end up in 2019 with a stronger gold market and our shares are trading and performing better and we find those relatively accretive acquisition opportunities, acquisition mm-hmm. opportunities that add more value on a per share basis than the dilution effect that those mm-hmm. are great deals for us to do. And as our cost of capital continues to fall, as the share price increases and the gold price increases, we could enhance the value of the existing portfolio by advancing these projects through um, uh, PEAs or economic studies that can reflect updated numbers based on today's economic considerations to develop projects. Longer mm-hmm. term, 
I think the trend that we need to look at is the shortage and the depletion of gold resources and reserves for the gold industry. Right. The gold industry today is at a decade low when it comes to resources and reserves. Average discovery costs have increased from $30 an ounce to almost $100 an ounce. And you're seeing a lot of M&A in the sector. The big boys are doing M&A, whether you're you know, with Barrick and Rangold, with Gold Corp and Newmont. There's, there was some rumors that the South African gold producers might be getting together with Anglo Gold. And so you're seeing signs that there could be um, consolidation ahead. We already have a number of uh, institutional shareholders, but we also have companies like IM Gold as, uh, as shareholders of the company. Um, we have long-standing shareholders like Doug Casey and Rick Rule and Marin Katusa from 2010, and then we have new institutional shareholders that have come on board over the last year. This all, I think, is a strong vote of confidence, that, Jay, that speaks to the fact that if you anticipate where things are going with a higher gold price, there probably will be more M&A, more consolidation, and we're seeing the early signs of that. I think broader M&A happens once the big boys start to put deals together, and you know the big boys have already been doing deals uh, quietly while the gold price was below 1300 and that may potentially accelerate as the gold price uh, continues uh, a march towards 1400 The key is to be in the driver's seat, in my opinion, and the driver's seat is if you control resources in the ground, because that is what the industry needs more of, uh, and, um, and that's, the, that's the position that gold mining is in with our uh, resource uh, stage projects that we have. Well, I think you make a point, a very good one, in terms of capital structure and the having a solid shareholders who can withstand the tough times. That allowed you to build this company as you have. Uh, with just a minute left, Amir, can you comment on what some of your upcoming catalysts might be so shareholders and, and investors can keep an eye on what's going on and the news that you put out over the next uh, few weeks? Yeah, so first of all, we've had... We've done a ton of work over the last uh, uh, almost year in uh, bringing together a really exciting project in Canada called the Yellowknife Gold Project in Northwest Territories. Uh, this was a fantastic example of a bear market acquisition, a company and an asset that we bought out of bankruptcy, which is the, the, the effect of having a very low gold price uh, over the last six years. There has just been these uh, uh, very distressed situations, and we've managed to uh, really uh, take advantage of that. And what happens is when you have to consolidate over 200,000 meters of diamond drilling, uh, it takes a long time to be able to uh, produce new resource reports. And so that's mm-hmm. the work that is now culminated. And our upcoming catalyst will be a new 43101 resource report. Um, that's on an asset we already own. So that's great to know that resources will increase with existing mm-hmm. projects that we already have. And additional uh, project uh, uh, sort of progression with our Brazilian and Canadian asset that we'll be putting the resource report on. And keep an eye on uranium. We have a uranium joint venture totally unrelated to gold. So if you like a little bit of uranium, uh, this is a company that's 100% focused on gold. But through one of our acquisitions, as you know, we inherited a uranium joint venture with France's uh, Arriva as our joint venture partner. Now they're called Orino. Uh, and that's something that we plan to spin out and sell into a rising uranium price environment, which we're also seeing happen with the uranium prices up 35% year over year and uh, looking like they could also have a strong 2019. So you, you get that kind of extra uranium optionality on top of the very significant gold optionality. Yeah, it's a very exciting. Any, any possibility of uh, any work to be done on the uranium project, or is that just 
sitting there now waiting for higher prices? I think we'll leave that to be done by the the Spinco or however mm-hmm. way the project is monetized. I believe it's important that gold mining shareholders are in no way diluted or, or sort of have right. the capital that we have, you know, steered towards something that's unrelated to gold. Again, this was sure. a project that we got lucky and in, inherited through one of our acquisitions in 2013. Uh, but um, we'll leave any work on the uranium project to be done as we monetize this asset or spin it out. That, that Spinco can work, uh, work that out. All right. Very good. We'll have to leave it go at that, uh, Amir. Thank you so much for uh, spending time with us and updating us on a very exciting story. Gold Mining Inc. Uh, we'll look to talk to you again sometime uh, about that company or your uranium company. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jay. All right, all right, folks, uh, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Chris Powell of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. He's going to talk to us about the work of that committee, the of GATA, and uh, why the gold price. Uh, he's going to give us some evidence from his point of view, at least in terms of why he believes the gold price has been suppressed. Uh, and what that might mean for you as an investor. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Chris Powell. Triumph Gold holds a 100% interest in the district-scale Free Gold Mountain Gold Copper Project in Yukon with a government-maintained road accessing their 200-square-kilometer property. The 2018 drill program has resulted in exciting discoveries to date, hitting the richest intersection ever in a porphyry system in Yukon. The company is well-funded and has a large institutional holding, including Gold Corp and Zijin Mining. Triumph trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol TIG and the OTC markets TIGCF. The website is triumphgoldcorp.com. Uranium Energy Corp, NYSE, American UEC, is America's emerging uranium producer. The company is 100% unhedged and has fully permitted and licensed processing plant and production-ready uranium assets in South Texas and Wyoming. With a rising uranium spot price, UEC is positioned to lead and supply to the U.S. uranium requirements ahead. Visit uraniumenergy.com and on Twitter at Uranium Energy. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, after quite a, a long period of time, uh, we've had Chris Powell with us in the past, but I'm really pleased that he's with us again. It's been a number of years, I believe. He is a columnist for the Journal Inquirer. That's a, a daily newspaper in Manchester, Connecticut, uh, where he has worked since graduating from high school, and I believe that's a few years ago. Chris and I are not that far apart in age, so... Uh, 1967. I graduated 1965. So anyway, there you have it. Chris is also secretary treasurer of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, GATA for short. Uh, that's a nonprofit organization that aims to expose and oppose the manipulation of the gold market and related markets by central banks. And that's what we want to talk to Chris about today. Thanks for joining me, Chris. 
Oh, my pleasure, Jay. It's really good to have you with us. I've known you now for quite a few years, you and Bill Murphy, uh, the founders of uh, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Maybe since you haven't been on with us for quite a while, for those that might not be familiar with GAT, I can't imagine that it would be a large percentage of our listeners, but uh, if you could just give us a little background on how and why uh, Gold uh, GATA was created. Uh, we uh, began uh, back in January '99, Jay, uh, really in response to uh, Bill Murphy's commentaries at his internet site, La Metropole Cafe. He was trying to cover the gold and silver markets. He began to notice that uh, they uh, seemed to be manipulated, that uh, there were smashes in the prices whenever. Uh, certain uh, key technical levels were, were reached. Uh, he uh, originally attributed this to the, uh, the major bullion banks that traded uh, gold and the, uh, the futures in New York. Um, I bumped into his, his internet site and began reading his columns in, in late 1998, and I thought that there was a lot of evidence that uh, he was right about the manipulation, but I thought he was missing something. I, I had some experience with antitrust law because of my, my newspaper work, and I, I, I wrote to him saying, "Look, uh, it looks like you, you're onto something here. But if you're right, what is happening would seem to be against the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act and 50 uh, state antitrust acts. And uh, in mm-hmm. that case, somebody ought to uh, form a." a a committee to uh, hire a, uh, an antitrust law firm to sue the bastards for triple damages under antitrust law. And if uh, I told him if somebody wanted to do uh, form such a committee, I'd uh, I'd contribute five hundred dollars. Uh, he thought it was a good idea. We formed the committee uh, uh, just uh, through luck and happenstance. We were able to uh, <clears throat> obtain a, an antitrust law firm to look into the issue for us. And the uh, the lawyers uh, discovered that uh, gold market rigging by the U.S. government uh, has uh, uh, been perfectly legalized uh, by the uh, Gold Reserve Act of, ni- of 1934, and uh, which established the Exchange Stabilization Fund. The, uh, the lawyers told us that if the real party in interest in the rigging was uh, was not a bullion bank or bullion banks, but uh, the U.S. government. Uh, then the market rigging would probably be legal, and there was no way to pursue them under antitrust law. Um, we continued to do research, and it increasingly confirmed that the real party in interest was the U.S. government and, and allied governments, and that uh, probably the best, uh, most we could do was uh, to expose the market rigging. That uh, uh, we, you know, we couldn't get it enjoined by by a court. We could very possibly obtain documents exposing it, which is what we have done. Um, and, uh, you know, we just continue uh, doing that. We've, we've amassed uh, many uh, admissions from uh, Western governments of their surreptitious involvement in the, uh, in the gold market uh, for price manipulation purposes. We've got uh, documents from uh, the International Monetary Fund and the Federal Reserve for example, um, uh, the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, I think they, they all show overwhelmingly that uh, Western central governments, uh, Western central banks continue to trade secretly in the uh, physical gold and especially the gold futures markets for, for price control purposes. Uh, I think it's, it's very easily confirmed. All you have to do is put a very specific critical question to any government agency that's involved in this and 
you'll get the uh, the door slammed in your face. But there's there's lots of uh, of documents that we've compiled and posted on our internet site. We're glad to share with uh, with everybody. I, I I think they establish uh, beyond a doubt that governments are secretly trading in the gold market for for price control purposes, uh, just as they were trading openly uh, in the gold market for control purposes uh, during the years of the London Gold Pool in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Right, for sure. Well, Chris, is it is it directly the Fed, the the government? Well, the Fed isn't the government, of course, quasi government. But is it uh, is it the government, the Treasury, or is it uh, the the big major banks that are connected to the government that are acting on behalf of the government well, I think in the, the futures the market? The investigation certainly comes out of the Treasury Department. Uh, the uh-huh. Treasury Department uh, controls uh, the Exchange Stabilization Fund, which is. The agency that is explicitly authorized uh, not only to uh, to trade in the uh, uh, in the gold market, but the uh, the exchange stabilization fund is explicitly authorized by U.S. law to trade secretly in any market in the world for for any purpose uh, that it mm-hmm. might have. Uh, this is you know quite astounding to me. But if you you look up the exchange stabilization fund page on. Uh, on the Treasury Department's internet site, you can uh, see this is, is confirmed. So I think it's, it's, it starts with the Treasury Department, and it goes back decades uh, as a matter of executing U.S. government policy, which is to maintain the dollar as the world uh, reserve currency, which means pushing gold out of the world financial system. And there's you know many records on even on the uh, uh, internet site of the historian of the U.S. Uh, uh, Treasury Department uh, showing that U.S. policy for decades has been to uh, suppress the gold price and push it out of the world financial system and prevent other countries from using anything but the U.S. dollars, the world reserve currency. Um, so I think it originates uh, in this longstanding U.S. policy. It's executed mainly at the direction of the Treasury Department, but the Fed executes Treasury trades. Uh, other U.S. trades are likely executed through the Bank for International Settlements in, in Basel, Switzerland. Um, the BIS is the uh, major gold broker for most uh, most central banks. Uh, they are uh, deeply involved in trading gold surreptitiously for for their uh, central bank clients. Uh, every month, uh, the BIS posts its uh, uh, monthly statement uh, of account, which shows changes in its its gold position, on, you know, which represents trading for its for its clients. If you ask, as Gata has asked the BIS, what are you doing in the gold market and for whom, and what are you trying to uh, achieve there? The BIS will cordially tell you, drop dead. We don't talk about this stuff. You can go try to ask some individual central bank about it, and of course they won't talk about it either. But mm-hmm. um, this this is longstanding Western central bank policy that. It goes back to the London Gold Pool in the 60s. They used to control the gold price in the open. It cost them a lot of gold reserves that they had to disord uh, from their stockpiles. Then in the 70s, they realized they could rig the gold market much more efficiently and much uh, uh, more cheaply uh, if they did it with uh, uh, futures in, in a futures market. And mm-hmm. and that's really what has happened since the 1970s, that the Western central banks have have underwritten the monetary metals uh, uh, futures markets and uh, underwritten the uh, immense shorting of, of gold and silver futures by uh, their 
their agent bullion banks. And, and the gold price, as a result, has not kept up with inflation for the last half century, uh, largely because central banks through the futures markets have, have underwritten the, this uh, creation of a vast imaginary supply of gold. Uh, the estimates of, of this are that uh, uh, there's uh, only one ounce of gold now uh, supporting as many as 100 ounces of uh, paper gold that are uh, trading in the futures markets uh, right. for price suppression purposes. If you ever want uh, an estimate of what the gold price should be, um, you can you can look at the, that ratio between paper gold and and real metal. Um, uh, if uh, if people uh, wanted, who wanted gold uh, insisted on on taking delivery of the real metal or at least vaulting it outside the banking system, uh, uh, there'd be a, a you know a short position of like a hundred to one that couldn't be covered. My goodness. So it's, it's hard to say where the price would go then in that case. It, uh, you know, it seems to me, Chris, I, I don't know if it was some government officials that GATA confronted, but it seems to me, I recall, uh, that, you know, for propaganda purposes, of course, uh, the, the officials said, well, we don't suppress the gold price, but we would have the legal right to do so. So I, I oh, guess yeah, he's we, probably we, right. Uh, the, first, the first lawsuit we brought uh, against the... Uh, the Fed and the Treasury and the Bullion Banks and the BIS was in U.S. District Court in, in Boston in 2001. Uh-huh. There was one hearing in the case. I uh, attended it. Uh, our uh, uh, lawyer, Reg Howe, was uh, suing the BIS because it was expropriating uh, the shares he owned in the BIS. Uh, the BIS then did have some outstanding shares in private hands and was trying to expropriate them. Um, Reg was arguing that the uh, BIS wasn't paying a fair price because the BIS owned a lot of gold and uh, uh, was helping to suppress the price of gold and thereby undervaluing its own shares. Um, I went to that hearing. Uh, There were a lot of lawyers there for the other side, including an assistant U.S. attorney, and the, uh, the assistant U.S. attorney was moving for something called summary judgment, which is the dismissal of a case on the grounds that even if everything alleged by the plaintiff is true, there is no remedy at law. Mm-hmm. And the assistant U.S. attorney was arguing there was no remedy at law here uh, because uh, the uh, Gold Reserve Act of 1934, as amended in the 1970s, gave the power to the U.S. government to uh, rig the gold market exactly as uh, as our lawsuit had complained of. Now, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, that is the U.S. government's position, that uh, mm-hmm. without admitting that it was doing what we charged it uh, with, uh, the U.S. government claimed the power to do what God had charged it with doing. Now, yeah. uh, that's, uh, uh, that's pretty good evidence, I think. I think so. Um, no question about it. So the reason is to, as I believe it is, Chris, let me know if you think it's it's really to convince the people that, that the dollar is as good as gold. It doesn't need to have gold backing. And then they can create endless trillions of, mount, trillions of dollars out of thin air and sort of out of slide, this sort of sleight of hand convince everybody that they're dealing with something that's as good as gold. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not just that. That's certainly a big, big part of it. It's to uh, really neuter the primary competitor to the dollar is... Uh, uh, the world reserve currency by uh, valuing the competitor and masking the inflation that has been 
uh, created through the uh, the U.S. dollar supply, but it's 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 broader than that. It's also a scheme uh, to protect not only the dollar but to protect uh, the uh, the value, the price of uh, U.S. government bonds and other Western government mm-hmm. bonds, uh, and uh, to control interest rates. And it's uh, it's also a a scheme to suppress commodity prices generally, uh, to to suppress the prices that would. Uh, show up more most blatantly in the uh, consumer price index uh, that uh, would get attention in the news media and uh, show up more in consumer prices. Um, so it's 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 really really a part of a bigger scheme that the British economist Peter Warburton wrote about in an essay in uh, in 2001, which is on our our internet site. Uh, Warburton. Uh, speculated that it would really take only, I think he said, 100 or 200 billion dollars uh, for the Western central banks to uh, to control all the commodity markets through uh, through futures trading. And uh, uh, if they did so, they could maintain the value of their currencies. They could they could push uh, all the inflation they were creating into financial assets. They could keep commodity prices down and prevent commodity uh, possession uh, from competing with uh, uh, with government currencies. It's it's part of a much bigger scheme. I I see this as the continuation of the ancient struggle uh, between the producing and the financial classes. Um, mm-hmm. There's people who work for a living and create things and uh, uh, extract. Uh, uh, products of value from uh, from the earth, and then there's uh, there's people who manipulate uh, the currency and and uh, uh, financial assets in order to gain control of real things, and uh, uh, that latter group has been winning for uh, for a long time. Well, that's uh, you might call them thieves, I would guess, and uh, the idea is that uh, uh, it's it certainly well, you know, going back to 1971 when Nixon uh, when Nixon detached gold from the dollar internationally. Um, that was done, as I understand it, Chris, to allow the United States to be able to finance, that is, the government to be able to finance a war in Vietnam and, and increase its, social, its, its policies of socialism under Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon without telling the American people they were going to have to pay for it. And now we see exactly what you're talking about, government and the banking system, the financial sector becoming extremely large. The middle class, the people, when I grew up in Ohio, uh, you know, those people are having a tough time of it back in the Midwest where they used to produce the things, farmers, uh, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, I would say maybe not so much the inventors, but at least those people that are producing real things that we all need, uh, it is really an immoral uh, it is really an immorality, in my view, that you can create money out of nothing. Essentially, it's theft, isn't it? Can you see it any well, other way? Yeah, yeah, it is, but it's legal theft. Uh, it's legal you know, theft. The, uh, the thugs the have, have, have the written the laws. Financial interests allied with uh, with the government uh, can can uh, can do this. Uh, the the uh, people who run the central banks and the the investment banks allied with them are they're in control. Uh, if they control the currency markets, they control the valuation of all capital, labor, goods, and services in the world. And there's nothing else. If you can control the currency markets, uh, you control the world. You control prices. Um, there's a very interesting transcript of a meeting in Secretary of State Henry Kissinger's office uh, uh, back in 1974. He was meeting with his uh, 
uh, with his uh, deputy, uh, uh, a guy uh, who was from Connecticut, whose name I can't quite think of right now, but uh, and his Kissinger's deputy is, uh, is is telling him why the United States must persuade its European allies not to uh, remonetize gold, not to uh, increasingly use gold as part of the world financial system, because the Europeans now, uh, Kissinger is told, now have more gold than the United States, and or collectively they have more gold than uh, the United States. And uh, Kissinger is told by his deputy that uh, uh, whichever power has uh, uh, the greatest amount of gold can revalue that gold from time to time, and in revaluing gold can change the valuations of all currencies in the world. And whoever can control the valuations of all, all currencies in the world is running the world. Uh, right then in 1974, the United States was doing that, but uh, Kissinger was told that uh, the Europeans now had the power uh, to overturn the dollar and return the world to, to gold or something else and to, mm-hmm. to seize control of the currency markets from the United States, and mm-hmm. that uh, the United States had to prevent that. And mm-hmm. uh, when Kissinger uh, understood that, he told his deputy, well, if they, if they cross us on this one, we'll smash them. Okay, Chris, with three minutes left, then let me ask you this. Uh, China, Russia, they're, they're accumulating huge amounts of gold. China especially, not just the central banks in China, but the population as a whole. They've been very much encouraging massive importation of gold. What do you think they're up to? It's China, Russia, Iran, you might throw in there. The adversarial nations of the United States. Yeah, the United States has been throwing its weight around in a very bullying way uh, increasingly over the last few years. It's, it has weaponized the dollar uh, with, uh, with sanctions. Uh, it, it certainly seems as if uh, some powerful nations and some small ones are uh, preparing to get out from under control by the U.S. dollar. Um, mm-hmm. Now, it, I don't think any country, including the Russians or the Chinese, uh, wants to return to a gold standard, but I think they realize that they have the power uh, to devalue the dollar effectively and to, to gain uh, strength uh, for themselves through gold, because gold is, is enormously undervalued because of the mm-hmm. paper gold short position floating around the world today. Uh, they want to get out from under the U.S. dollar imperialism, and I think they're, they're planning to do that. Um, I uh, always cite a speech given by Oleg Mazeskov, who uh, was uh, deputy chairman of the uh, Russian Central Bank. He gave a speech in Moscow in 2004 uh, to the summer meeting of the London Bullion Market Association uh, meeting at the Kapinski Hotel in Moscow. The only words of English that the deputy chairman of the Bank of Russia spoke were Gold Antitrust Action Committee. That was pretty interesting because, to the best of our knowledge, in 2004, We'd never had any contact with anybody in Russia. Turned out the Bank of Russia was watching us very carefully. And the effect of that speech by Mazeskov uh, was uh, the Russians telling the London bullion bankers that Russia was now on to them. It knew what was going on with with gold leasing to uh, uh, suppress the gold price and keep commodity prices down. And very soon after that, President Putin uh, ordered the Bank of Russia to start obtaining gold on all markets in the world. So I, I think we alerted to the, the, the Russians, uh, at least, to the gold price suppression scheme. We may right. have alerted the Chinese. All right. Well, uh, Chris, we're just uh, basically out of time here. I guess 
for our listeners then, and for every, everybody, for citizens as a whole, if you find something that's extremely undervalued, you might think about acquiring some of it. Well, I don't know what the, uh, uh, the schedule of uh, the central banks around the world is. I, I am very confident they will revalue gold upward at some point. I'm not so confident I will live to see the day. I hope I do. But uh, if, uh, you know, maybe if you're under uh, 50 or so, uh, it's a pretty good bet. Well, it's all in God's hands as far as I can tell. I don't know of any politician that has complete control. Thank you so much for the time, Chris, and for updating us on this. And the site where people can go to, gata.org, is it? Yeah, that's right, gata.org. We run a little daily newsletter there that you can subscribe to if you want to. And, uh, of course, we're always glad to get contributions. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris, for your time and and, uh, sharing your thoughts with us today. We'll look to do it again sometime soon. All right. Well, folks, so that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, John Rubino will be with me. And also, I'm going to have a manager, a member of management of Dinosert will be with me to talk about that company's progress. They are actually making some progress now. Um, and so I think you'll want to hear what, uh, what is said about that next week. Uh, Michael Oliver should be with us as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Often referred to as one of the best teams in junior gold exploration, having discovered a 5 million ounce gold mine and sold a second company amidst discovery, the management behind Orin Resources now has a world-class exploration portfolio within Canada and Peru. Projects that give the company one of the largest direct pipelines for major discoveries globally, with one of the deepest technical teams to explore them. Entering into its third year of aggressive pursuit, Orin is expecting results from two of their major projects throughout the rest of this year. For the latest, head to orinresources.com and subscribe.